Good morning again, everyone. How are you all doing? Good. Good to see you today. Um, if you're our guest today, welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you're watching online, welcome. Glad you decided to tune in. Uh, my name's Ryan. If, if you don't know who I am, I'm Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Anchor, and I'm just so, so excited to be here today and be able to um, share the Word of God. Um, Really quickly, though, I just wanted to piggyback a little bit off, off what Dylan said about giving. Um, I love, I love the, what he says. Like, we don't just have to give here at church. Like, giving is more than just financially, right? Like, God has blessed us with resources outside of finances, and that's uh, time and, and talents as well. Like, if you're gifted in an area or you have a little bit of extra time to, to like, give— like there's other ways like you you can serve or you can be you know be on a team or that kind of thing. So um, thank you for your generosity and giving. I um, appreciate that. But you're not given to me. You're given to the Lord. So um, thank you. Um, we have been in a series walking verse by verse through the Book of Romans, and it has been really eye-opening for me, right? I've read Romans before many times, but like being able to deep dive into it like we have been this year has been, again, eye-opening. And I've, I've learned some things about what the Apostle Paul says to the Roman church that, that has just been, I mean, jarring at times. And it's been heavy, but it's been really good and, and that kind of thing. And, and last week, we talked about the end of Romans chapter 6, and we, we addressed the idea of holiness. And what is holiness? It's not this like super sacred, ultra heavenly attitude. It's, it just means to be different. And God calls us to be different like he's different. And the process of being holy, becoming holy, is sanctification. And we talked about what sanctification is. We talked about what sanctification is not. And this week, we are jumping into Romans chapter 7. And it is it goes right along with the idea of sanctification. Um, we're talking about um, the purpose of the law. And, and that is my, that's the title of my message today. If you're taking notes, the purpose of the law is just really simple. Um, and we're going to dive into Romans 7 in just a minute. But before I, I read the scriptures, I have a story I want to share with you. So when I was in school, I, th I think I've shared this with you before. When I was in school, I was not the most diligent student. I, I can admit that, right? I'm, I'm kind of ashamed of that because I like learning now, but when I was in school, I wasn't the most diligent student. I was always like messing around with people. I was trying to always have fun and entertain myself, okay? Um, and I was always saying this. this. This phrase always came out of my mouth. I'm never going to need this. Has anybody ever said that? Teachers in the room are cringing right now, so... Um, but I used to say that on a daily basis. I'm never going to need this. And I used to say that about algebra. And I used to say it about geometry and chemistry and history. Like, I, I used to say this about almost everything. I'm never going to need this in what I want to do. Because I wanted to be a professional poker player when I was in high school. So, um, I really thought, I'm never going to need this. I truly believe that. One thing I, I am diligent in, though, and have been, is trivia. I love trivia. Useless information. It's all up here, okay? It's, I'm really good at it. Um, things that don't matter, again, all up here. Um, I was really diligent in that. And, and I don't know why, but I just, I remember weird, like, trivial facts. And, and one thing that Robin and I used to do when we, when we first got married, before kids, 
we used to go with our friends to Applebee's and do trivia every Thursday night. And it was a blast. It was like two hours and we'd go and we'd get like appetizers and we'd do this trivia competition with the whole restaurant and, um, and, and it was a blast. But we weren't just doing trivia for trivia's sake, there was a prize. Every single week is $100 in Applebee gift cards. And so we're like, we got to get that. And so every week, that's what we were battling for, right? Well, um, about five years ago, me and some guys, uh, we went to a trivia night. And Robin wasn't able to go. She, uh, this, was, this was just a guy time. And so me and the guys went. And um, we're at this trivia competition. And again, like, like 20 teams. And like we're in the top two the whole night. Okay, We're in the top two of teams the whole night. We're just crushing it. And um, the final question comes up. Now, each of us and on our team had a specialty, okay? Everyone had like a category that they like felt especially confident in. And mine were sports and history. Even though like, even though I didn't pay attention in history class, I kind of liked it. And so like I knew a little bit of history without like the education part of it. And so like uh, we, we, we had our, our categories and um, the final question comes up and it's history. So I'm like, okay, it's my time to shine. Here we go, my time to shine. And I remember the question, and it, I mean, it's deflating now to even think about it still. This was the question. What year did British General Cornwallis surrender to the Continental Army at Yorktown? And again, I'm never gonna need this, right? So I didn't pay attention to that stuff in school. The I'm never gonna need this attitude came back to bite me because I had no idea. I had no idea. And the way it worked was, the way the last question worked was whoever got closest to the correct answer one. Well, I had no idea. So I had no idea what I was even shooting for, what time period, nothing. And so I thought we were sunk. We, like, I let my team down. I'm like, crud, this was our chance, right, to win. Let the team down. But, but one of the guys who was there, one of the regulars, he just happened to invite a friend who wasn't a regular to, to come join us that night. And this friend, what was this friend's occupation, you ask? Thank you so much for asking. This friend's occupation was high school American history teacher. High school American history teacher. And um, he knew the answer. And he, like, we submitted the answer. We're real confident. He, I'm like, how confident are you? He's like, it's, it's this, exactly. I'm like, okay, great. Well, the announcer, the announcer announces the, the answer and that we got it exactly right. And we lost our dang minds in this restaurant. And we screaming, causing a scene. And, and it was like... All was right with the world, right? We won our $100 gift card, and it was, it was really cool. Um, now, that, that's kind of a funny, lighthearted story, but that I'm never going to need this attitude came back to bite me, right? And that's a real thing, and it comes back to bite people sometimes. I'm never going to need this. This information is, is useless to me, so I'm just going to discard it, or I'm just going to throw it away. I'm never going to need this. It's a real thing, and, and, and maybe that phrase has come out of your mouth before, but, but when we do that, when we have that attitude towards something, I'm never going to need this. We actually belittle that thing. We actually invalidate that thing. We devalue it. We actually um, we, we contradict that thing, and sadly, this happens in our faith. There are things of God, there are things in the Word of God that we, that we as Christians think, man, I'm never going to need that. So I just throw that out, right? I, I, don't, I don't need to worry about that because 
whatever reason. I'm never going to need that. And that's really sad because God never changes. God never changes. His word never changes. And if it was relevant when he gave it to the Israelites in Exodus, it's relevant to us today. His word never changes. But sadly, a lot of Christians disregard it. I want to look at what the scriptures has to tell us today about this. But first, would you pray with me? Let's pray this morning. God, thank you. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you never change. That you're timeless. You're always relevant. I pray, God, that that you would speak to our hearts today. That we would hear directly from you, Father. Your truth. That we would be able to understand it by your Holy Spirit. And stand on it today. We love you, God. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can open it up or turn it on to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And we are going to begin at verse 1. Now, before I, before I start reading, I say this every week, but I'm going to say it again. I always preach from a perspective of there and then. What does that mean? I believe if we're going to understand how the Bible applies to our lives here and now, we first, first have to understand what it meant there and then. Context, right? Context is everything. It helps us understand what the words mean, right? It's not enough to just know what the words say. We have to know what they mean. And that's what there and then is about. And so Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries The law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she marries. So the Apostle Paul is using this illustration of marriage laws to help us understand that when we died with Christ... When we died to our old way of life, we died to the requirement of the law. We died to the requirement of the law. We no longer have to keep the law to be in right standing with God. This is the parallel Paul is trying to make. Our standing with God has like nothing to do with the law anymore. Nothing. It's faith and trust alone. If you remember that back to Romans 1, the Apostle Paul talks about the good news of God is for everyone. And the good news of God is that by faith and faith alone, we are made right in the eyes of God. The law has no bearing on our standing with him anymore. He keeps coming, that, he keeps coming back to this idea and he keeps, he keeps um, like emphasizing this idea about faith and faith alone and law has no power over us anymore and all that because it's so important for us to understand and get that. It's, it starts with grace first. It starts with grace first, okay? Verse four, so my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ and you are now, uh, now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. So we died to the power of the law when we died with Christ, and now we're united with him. But it's really important to understand that we, we're not just united with Christ so that we go to heaven one day. That's not why we're united with Christ. That's not the only reason. We're united with Christ, he says it right there, so that we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. 
we are reunited with Christ to reflect him to a hurting and broken world. That is one of the reasons, one of the main reasons we're united with Christ. So if we're not reflecting him to a hurting and broken world, if we're not producing good deeds because of our standing with him, we're doing it wrong. We're missing it. Verse 5, when we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. The Apostle Paul is indicating here that, that um, I mean, he says it directly, that the law, the Torah, God's Torah, it's, it arouses evil desires within us. And that would cause people to believe, oh, then the law itself is sinful. And that's not what he's saying. The law arouses evil desires. This is, this is what's going on here. There's a scientific term for that. It's called reactance. If you've never heard of this, reactance is... Is a, it's a proven thing, and it's, it's the idea that when we're told to do something or when we're told not to do it, something in our brains wants to do the opposite, right? If we're told, don't do this thing, all we think about is doing that thing. If we're told, hey, do this thing, all we can think about is not doing that thing, right? It, this is a proven thing in our brains called reactance. And scientists believe this has to do with autonomy and control. We want autonomy, right? We want control over our own lives. So when we hear don't do this, we naturally rebel. It's a scientific thing in our, in our brains that happens called reactance. And Paul, Paul was concerned that the Roman church would jump to the unwarranted conclusion, again, that the law itself is sin. That's why he uses the strongest negative language possible. In, in, in our English version, he says, of course not. But in the, in the original language, what he actually says is closer to heaven forbid. Is the, is the law sinful? Heaven forbid. No, of course it's not. Our sin isn't the law's fault. It's our own fault. Verse 8, but sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me, but still the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. Paul is painting he, he paints the picture of sin the way Genesis does. He paints the picture of sin the way Genesis does. In Genesis 6, Scripture says that every inclination of the human heart is wickedness. And Paul is, is kind of saying that in his own way. He talks about sin, as we'll see, as beyond the control of our own will. 
Sin is beyond the control of our own will. The law isn't sinful. We are. So the Apostle Paul uses this marriage analogy to help um, Christ followers understand that, that we are not, um, we're not under the law anymore. That, that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we died to the old way of doing things. Um, the Apostle Paul says in verse 6, we've been released from the law. But what he means by this is, is not that the law is now obsolete or invalid. When he says we're released from the law, what he means is we're released from the punishment of the law. The law no longer condemns us because now we're made right in the sight of Jesus, right, through faith and faith alone. This contrasts the way that it had been done for 1,500 years up to this point. The written code, right, living under the law. And, and uh, so 1,500 years, God's people were guided by a written code, right? Moses, the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. Like that's what guided God's people. Commands, code, written on stone tablets. But now Paul is saying the Spirit of God writes those commands on your heart. There's no more stone tablets that you have to abide by anymore. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live a new life so that we serve God in a new way. Paul also eliminates any idea that God's law is somehow bad for us. That God's law is somehow old or obsolete or or invalid. He says very directly that the law, the Torah, it's holy and its commands are holy and right and good. And Paul ends this section of the letter by saying, we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So since we started walking uh, through this series verse by verse, um, I've, I've said so many times that the good news of God comes through faith and faith alone, right? It's available to everybody, and it's that we're made right in God's eyes by faith, right? And, and, and that the law has no bearing on our standing with him anymore, right? But if, our, if the law has no bearing on our standing with him anymore, but it's not invalidated, what is the purpose of the law? What is the purpose of the, the law of God? If it, if it doesn't have anything to do with our standing, but it's not invalid, there has to be some purpose for it. What is the purpose for us post-resurrection? And that's what I want to talk about today. The purpose of the law. The first purpose I want to talk about is this. The law reveals the depth of our sinfulness. The law reveals the depth of our sinfulness. Romans chapter 1 verse 29 says, Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, Envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And I think it's incredibly philosophical here what the Apostle Paul says. The law showed me my sin. I wouldn't have known that coveting was wrong had the law not said, you must not covet. I think that's incredibly insightful. It's incredibly philosophical. And it it makes me think of that song we sang last week. You may not remember it, but the song at the end of service last week is called Holy Yours by the David Crowder Band. And they talk about the same idea in the bridge of that song. Here are the lyrics. It says, but the harder I try, the more clearly can I feel the depth of our fall and the weight of it all. What David Crowder is saying in this song is is the harder he tries to be good, the more he tries to obey under his own power, the more clear it becomes to him just the utter wickedness we are, 
the, the depth of our sin. The harder we try to be good, the more clear it becomes how bad we actually are. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans 7. The law reveals the depth of our sinfulness. And according to the law, we're completely and totally dead in, in our sin. This is why the world hates God and hates his law. Because the law is like a mirror. God's law is like a mirror and it shows us everything that's bad about us. And the world doesn't like that. In my opinion, this is why there is a progressive Christianity movement. Uh, progressive Christianity movement is trying to deconstruct the things of God. It's trying to deconstruct the laws of God. It's trying to remove any standard whatsoever. If you don't know what progressive Christianity is, it's, it's a form of Christianity that removes or ignores pretty much everything that doesn't make you feel good about yourself. So the idea behind progressive Christianity is it's only supposed to make you feel good all the time. And, and you're never supposed to be challenged, and you're, you're never supposed to hear anything hard. But that is not the word of God. That's not the word of God. Now, really quickly, I believe this movement was born out of love for people. It was born out of compassion. But it has taken the word of God, and it has ravaged it. It has dismantled it and that is not okay that's not okay progressive christianity is is completely based on feelings and it totally invalidates the things that are hard for us progressive christianity would tell you that that the law doesn't matter anymore because of what jesus did oh jesus died and everything before jesus oh, it doesn't matter anymore ah oh, grace 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 don't don't hear me diminish what Jesus did on the cross. It, I mean, it changed everything. But scripture also says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. He didn't throw truth out when he, when he died on the cross. He's full of both, 100% all the time. Grace and truth. And Jesus himself even, even pushes back against this idea of pro progressive Christianity. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Verse 17, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus himself came to fulfill the law. If Jesus came to fulfill the law, then that tells me it's good. It's holy. It's right. And we shouldn't ignore it. We shouldn't dismiss it. But the law is difficult. The law is difficult because it, it, it shows you who you really are. It shows me who I really am. And, and I, have to, I have to face that if I want to grow in my relationship with the Lord. The law is good, it's holy, it's right, but it's difficult because it reveals the depth of our sinfulness. So that's one, of the, that's one of the first purposes of the law I want to talk about. There's many, many purposes of the law, but I'm only talking about three today. And that was the first one. It reveals the depth of our sinfulness. Another purpose for the law of God is this. The law reveals our need for God. The law reveals our need for God. John chapter 5 verse 39 says, You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. This was Jesus having a debate with teachers of the law of God. And, and they're, they're in this debate and they're, they're, they're trying to trap him and he, he 
you know, they, they asked this question, how do we get eternal life? How do we have eternal life? All these things. And, and Jesus, he directly, um, he directly um, addresses this idea that eternal life is not found in the law of God. Eternal life is found in me. Eternal life is found in me. The law, if the law reveals the depth of our sinfulness, if, if, and our sinfulness is beyond the control of our own will, then the law of God simultaneously reveals our need for somebody to save us from that sin. The law reveals our need for God. And since God gave his children the law all the way back in Exodus, his children have been trying to find eternal life in the scriptures, in the law. But God's intention with the law wasn't to push us to be good rule followers. It wasn't to push us to, to fall in line. The intention of the law was always to push us towards the one who gives us life. It was always to push us and help us realize, like, man, we can't do this without him. When our focus is on the rules and not the rule giver, things go downhill really fast. When our focus is on the rules and not the rule giver, things go badly very fast. I learned uh, very early on in my faith journey this saying that has stuck with me, and it will continue to stick with me. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. I don't know who said it. I don't know when it was said, but I have found it to be 100% true. If we're only concerned about following the rules and we forget about or we overlook our relationship with the Lord, like the day will come when following the rules will become too burdensome and you will walk away. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. This is not what God wants for us. This is not his desire for us. He's not trying to push us away with the law. He's trying to draw us nearer. He, the law reveals our need for him, and he wants us to draw closer. And Jesus even addresses this issue in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11 says this, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and my yoke is easy, we have to understand what he's saying here. Let me, let me teach you a little bit. I'll get a little bit academic on you. So yoke has a few different meanings. And one of the most common meanings is, um, is a harness that's fastened to an animal to move farm equipment, right? Like that's, that's one of the most common understandings of the word yoke. But that is not what Jesus is talking about here. There is another meaning of, of the word yoke, and in the Hebrew culture and in the world of the Bible, yoke is a rabbi's interpretation of the law. A rabbi is a teacher of the law of God, and a yoke is his interpretation of that law. So let me read it to you a different way. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my interpretation of the law upon you. Let me teach let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my interpretation of the law is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. God's law isn't supposed to be burdensome. God's law is not supposed to push us away. It's not supposed to keep us at arm's length. It's supposed to draw us nearer to him. 
because because his interpretation of the law is easy. It's easy to bear. And it's, it's a light burden. God's law isn't supposed to be burdensome. It's supposed to reveal our need for him. It's supposed to draw us near to him. So the first, the first purpose I talked about is revealed. The law reveals the depth of our sinfulness. The second purpose is the law uh, reveals our need for God. The last purpose of the law I want to talk about today. The law reveals the character of God. The law reveals the character of God. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, in the, beginning was the, in, in the beginning the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. God is the word. God is the word. The word is God. It's a direct window into his heart. The law of God is a direct window into his heart. It, it shows us very clearly what he cares about. His law reveals the true nature of his character. And you might say, Pastor Ryan, like, what do you mean? How does God's law reveal his, his true character? I want you to take a look at this slide. How God's law is a mirror of God's character. If you can't see that very well, it's, it, it, it basically goes through attributes of God and the law and how scripture says, says these things about both. Both the law and God are good, holy, and just. Both are truth. Both are perfect. Both are not burdensome. Both are light. Both are love. Both are righteous. Both are pure. Both are spiritual. Both are eternal. God gave us his law to teach us about himself. God gave us his law to help us know our Father better. He gave us his law to show us what he cares about. God gave us the law to show us how to be different, right? Last week I talked about sanctification and, and, and being different and, and, and what sanctification is, right? Sanctification is personal, positional, and it's, um, I, I forget all of them, <laughs> um, and, but it's not perfection. It's not uh, a feeling, and it's not just for the religious elite. Like, we're supposed to be different. God's law shows us how to be different. There is a purpose for the law of God for you and I today in 2022. It's not invalid because Jesus died on the cross. It's not obsolete. It's not a thing of the past. It is timeless, and it's relevant for you and I today. God, God's law reveals the depth of our sinfulness. God's law reveals our need for him, and God's law reveals the nature of his true character. Worship team, you can come back to the platform. Throughout the course of your life, you may hear different arguments of, like, people use to make the claim that God's law is invalid. You'll, you'll hear it. You'll continue to hear it because this, this progressive Christianity movement that I talked about a little bit ago, it's growing. It's growing, and, and people want to feel good, and, and they don't want to be confronted with their junk. And you're going to hear a lot of arguments that people use to claim that God's law doesn't matter anymore. Jesus fulfilled the law, so we don't have to keep it. The law was only for ancient Israel. The law is only for Jews today. The law was only for those under the old covenant. The law is a burden Christ came to free us from. The law brings a curse on those who try to keep it. Christ was the end of the law. Trying to keep the law is legalistic. The law is totally unrelated to salvation. 
We are saved by grace alone and don't need the law. Love, not law, is all we need. These these reasons all have one thing in common. They all teach that the law has no purpose in a Christian's life. But that just is not true. It's not true. The law has far greater purpose than most people realize. Again, last week I talked about sanctification and eliminating behaviors and thoughts and attitudes that may grieve Christ and cause other people to stumble. Becoming more like Jesus, that's what sanctification is. Well, it's not a coincidence that following the subject of sanctification in Romans, the Apostle Paul addresses the law of God because the law of God is what sanctifies us. The law of God is what makes us more like Christ. The law of God teaches us how to be more like Jesus. This, this should be encouraging to us because, listen, it means that God believes you can be like him. God believes that you can be like Jesus. He believes that we can image him. That's what we were created to do, and that's what the death, of Je- the death and resurrection of Jesus accomplished. It now makes it possible for us to be like him. God believes we can be like him, not be him. Hear me very clearly. I'm not saying we get to be God. I'm saying we can be like him on this earth. That was the purpose we were created for. God believes that you have what it takes to represent him to the world. He believes that. He wouldn't have called you if he didn't. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have made a way for you to, to be here today if he didn't. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be sanctified by the law of God to be like Jesus in this world. It's up to us to trust and believe. It's up to us to trust and believe. Let me pray for you. God, thank you. Thank you so much, God, for your word. Thank you for your law. And God, if this was difficult for anyone to hear today, God, I pray um, that you would just bring peace right now in the name of Jesus. You would bring peace in the name of Jesus. If it was, um, if, if this was a heavy message for anybody listening, God, I pray that, that you would just comfort, that you would be there, God, that you would help. You would come alongside and help bring understanding through your Holy Spirit. God, your law is good and it's holy and it's just. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to teach us how it applies to us today. Thank you, God. Sanctify me by your truth, God. Sanctify us by your truth. Continue to make us more holy like you are holy, God. We love you. Now, there might be some in the room today who you don't know Jesus and, and this idea of, of the law might be really heavy and, and burdensome, but that's not what God wants for you. You might, you might hear this message and, and feel bad because like, man, you're not living up to the standard. You see where God's calling you to be and you see where you are and there's a huge gap in between the two. There's a distance and it's heavy. The law reveals the depth of our sinfulness, but 
but it also reveals our need for him. Today, if you feel that heaviness, that means you need God. It means you need to run to him. And today could be the day where everything changes for you. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if that's you today, you say, Pastor Ryan, I need Jesus. I need to submit my life to him. If that's you, I want to pray for you today. I want to pray with you today to receive Christ and, and, and start a new life today. If that's you, at the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. Raise it high so I know who I'm praying with. I want you to raise your hand uh -huh, so I, I can pray with you. And there's nothing special or, or magical about raising your hand. I just want to know who I'm praying with. So if that's you, you say, Pastor Ryan, I need, I need to turn my life over to God. Raise your hand at the count of three. One, God loves you so, so much. Two, it's time for you to come home to him. Three, if, if that's you right now, raise your hand, raise it high so I can know who I'm praying with. What I want to do right now is I want to lead us in a prayer. Lead us in a prayer of repentance. Uh, whether you raised your hand or not, whether you're online and, and you, you need this or not, I, I want to lead us all in a prayer of repentance so that, so that nobody feels singled out or, or, or picked on or anything like that. Because maybe, maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you thought, man, maybe I should have. Maybe I should have raised my hand. If that's you, it's okay. I want to pray with you. So what I want to do right now is I want to invite everyone to join me. Repeat after me as, as I pray this prayer today. Say, Jesus, today I recognize the depth of my sin. Today I recognize my need for you. And I repent. I receive your forgiveness. I want to live by your spirit. Help me to put my trust in you and teach me to walk by faith. Lead me, guide me, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Can we give it up for those who may have prayed that prayer today? That's awesome. If you did pray that prayer um, for the first time and you received Christ today, don't leave here without like us putting some resources in your hands. At the welcome table out in the lobby, um, we have resources if, if you made the decision to follow Christ. If you're online and you made that decision, let us know. Give us a call or email us and we will get you resources. We'll send them to you. We'll drop them off to you, whatever we need to do. Um, we, I don't want anybody to feel like they're doing this alone. So, so if, if you prayed that prayer today, let somebody know. And God, I feel, I just feel pressed to pray for those who may feel that this was a heavy message today, for those who may feel bogged down or burdened or, or weighed down because of the, the weight of this. That's not your heart, God. That's not what you want for us. You want us to live in freedom. You want us to live in freedom. And I, I just pray, God, that you would help us to learn the balance of living in grace and truth. Help us to learn that balance, God. It's not one or the other, it's both. 
Help us to be people of grace and truth, God. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. There's a few next steps really quickly. A few things that we can do to to take the message and, and tangibly do something with it this week. The first one, this week I'll memorize Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's law, God's law is good. It's holy. It's just. The second one, each day this week I will ask the Holy Spirit to help me understand the purpose of the law of God. And this week I will invite a friend to join me at church. good day. Good day. God, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for thank you for your instruction. Thank you for your instruction because it teaches us how to be more like you. We love you, God. We give you all the glory. And finally, to now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you as blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to him be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. 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 Thank you for being here today. Thanks for worshiping with us. Have a great week. We will see you next time.